the PACs that have to file quarterly reports with the FEC are the most transparent group of donors in our political system. Welcome back to a new year, another season, and another new episode of the Facts About PACs podcast. I'm Michaela Isler, NABPAC's executive director, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Adam Belmar. Welcome back to the mic, my friend. Well, thank you, and Happy New Year to you too, Michaela, and to all of our listeners here on the number one PAC podcast in America. You know, the 118th Congress is finally in session. Democrats hold the majority in the United States Senate, and in the House of Representatives, the gentleman from California, Kevin McCarthy, is now the Speaker of the House. Never mind how we got to this point, Michaela. We're here, and today we're going to level set and orient ourselves and this podcast community to the new lay of the land. And here to help us deliver on that worthy mission is a voice that NAPAC community knows and trusts. Coming up in just a minute, we'll talk policy and politics with Paul Braithwaite, Chief Strategist at Federal Street Strategies. The Facts About PACs podcast is produced especially for the members of the National Association of Business Political Action Committees. In every episode, we recap this week's NAPAC activities, share actionable intelligence and best practices, all while connecting the PAC community. And today's episode is brought to you by Public Affairs Support Services. PASS has been keeping PACs on track for 38 years, from preparing and filing your FEC and state PAC reports to managing your PAC match program and hosting your PAC website. The employee owners at PASS make your PAC programs and compliance their business. Thanks, Adam. And also, as always, thanks to PASS for sponsoring and supporting our podcast. Uh, before we bring in our guests, though, I want to catch everyone up on a few of our upcoming NAPAC activities. Adam, we are kicking off the year with our first luncheon in our offices, and uh, we're actually going to be taking a deeper dive into the 118th Congress and really what to anticipate in this two-year cycle. And so I hope that our members will join us for our first luncheon luncheon on January 31st here in our offices up in Eastern Market. Yeah, that discussion is going to be in-depth, bipartisan. All of the resources of NABPAC will be there. We're lucky to have Paul as our guest today, but we'll probably only be able to scratch the surface. If you need the details, it's time for lunch. And joining us now to talk policy and politics in the 118th Congress is Paul Braithwaite, Chief Strategist at Federal Street Strategies. Welcome to the Facts About PACs podcast, Paul. Thank you, Michaela, and Happy New Year to you and Adam. As we get going here, I want to remind everybody about your background and experience, Paul. Long before you built Federal Street Strategies, you served for six years as the executive director of the Congressional Black Caucus. And before that, you held the position of special assistant to the Secretary of Labor and chief of staff at the Employment Standards Administration at the United States Department of Labor. You are a graduate of the Duke University Law School, and you also hold a master's degree from Duke in public policy and public policy analysis. And Michaela, if that's not enough, for those who are really willing to do their homework, this is what you find. He's also credited in the 1993 Hollywood movie, The Program, starring James Conn, Halle Berry, and Omar Epps. And so with that, let the questioning of the learned gentleman from Maryland commence, Michaela. See, you learn something new every day on this podcast. I've, I've worked, you know, Adam, we've worked side by side with Paul for these last three and a half years. And I never knew, Paul, that you were a famous actor. Although I might make a little announcement today, too. We have something in common, Paul. I had my acting debut as an extra in the House of Cards. 
I was actually part of the uh, Bolivian delegation in one of their UN scenes. <laughs> I love uh, <laughs> so I'm excited for. Um, yeah, what's the office. truth of the story about your uh, IMDb find, Paul? Yes. That's awesome. And given that the Golden Globes were just this weekend, Michaela, I'm going to put forward a nomination for you to get one next time uh, <laughs> for your House of Cards delegation debut. But Adam had to dig deep to find that one. That went back to my Duke years and they filmed a movie on campus. And part of the deal with Duke was, is if you film a, a, a movie on campus, you've got to include the students. And so they cut a deal for students to be involved. And I went to the the tryouts. And it turned out that I was about the same height, same build as Omar Epps. And they drafted me to be his stand-in for the week, 10 days he were on campus. But Darnell Jefferson making his first appearance at tailback. Kane brings him up to the line of scrimmage. The best part of the story is like, you know, when you're in college, you don't have any money. They actually paid you to do that. So you were compensated for your time while you were also having fun. But it was my my one acting claim to fame and it was a lot of fun. That was 30 years ago this year. Well, what an incredible experience and having been on one of those sets myself, it was it was really eye-opening and enlightening. So really cool stuff. Well, Paul, let's jump into it. You know, for the benefit of everyone who is still digging out and getting settled from the holidays, can you give us just a high-level overview of the balance of power on Capitol Hill today and, and what we can expect to see unfold in the coming weeks? Yes. So we are off and running with 2023 and the 118th Congress. House and Senate are run by two different parties. The Republicans are are in the majority in the House and the Democrats kept the majority in the Senate. And what I would say is it's narrow in both bodies by a whisker. You have 222 Republicans in the House and you have 212 Democrats in the House and one vacancy. Uh, There'll be a special election uh, at the end of February to fill a Virginia congressional seat that is open due to the passing of Congressman Donald McEachin. And in the Senate, it's 51-49. So 51 Democrats and 49 Republicans. But again, razor thin margins there. Um, Both parties, both bodies now are organizing. They're getting their, you know, forgive the cliche, they're getting their houses in order. That is, they're assigning committee seats to members of Congress. They are voting on leadership, as we all saw over the last week or so, and getting things in place for the work that will come soon. So, I mean, many of the things that are happening now are introductory, um, sort of organizing in nature. And then the real work starts uh, in the next few weeks. They'll start to have hearings and the bodies will start to to do what they do, voting on various pieces of legislation and the like. Paul, we've got this new Speaker of the House who has to invite the president to come up and deliver a State of the Union. And of course, the reason that everybody is there is to help fund our government. And this new Republican majority says, hey, we're going to do it in regular order with 12 separate spending bills considered and sent to the Senate. Is there optimism from the members that you talk to about working together and actually achieving those goals? You know, I think everyone starts off the year saying the right things that we're going to work together. We're going to try to get things done for the American people. I was heartened uh, yesterday. um, And you mentioned the funding of the government. This will be the first Congress where four female leaders will be the heads of leads in on the Appropriations Committee, the House and the Senate. 
uh, Chairwoman Granger, Kay Granger from Texas, Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro from Connecticut are the uh, leads in the House. And in the Senate, um, Senator Chairwoman Patty Murray and uh, Vice Chair Susan Collins. Um, and Susan Collins and Patty Murray put out a statement yesterday and said, look, the only way we can make this happen um, and we can make progress is if we work together. Um, those members have worked closely uh, for a number of years now, but I'm interested to see how the dynamic changes given the new leadership of both of those appropriations committees. But I do think, again, it'll be fascinating to watch as the year progresses. Everyone wants to say they want to do everything early. They don't want to wait till the last minute. They don't want to wait till the end of September to fund the government. Um, if I was a betting man, and I'm not a betting man, we, we might be on a sort of level flat gun government funding here for the next couple of years in that I don't think it's in anyone's interest to shut down the government, um, but I don't see them being able to come to uh, an agreement on how much we should increase funding for the for those 12 appropriation bills that you that you mentioned. And so the default might be that, you know what, we'll just keep it level funding um, and uh, and. Fortunately or unfortunately, that's a good thing for the government to stay open. But unfortunately, um, you know, we may have to wait till the 24 uh, election to, um, to to get some sort of verdict from the American people on, on how they want to proceed or how they want their government to proceed. Um, I do think the public wants to see members work together and, and we'll see what the next few months unfold and, and show us. Paul, I like your positive outlook. I'm, you know, it's a new, a new year, a new Michaela. I'm trying to stay positive too. So hopefully um, they can work together and, and find a way to govern on a bipartisan basis. You know, campaign finance is always a topic in the mix on Capitol Hill. But the recent arrest and indictment of the former crypto billionaire Sam Bankman-Fried has really stoked the flames and kind of brought to light some of the campaign finance discussions around dark money versus PAC money. Any initial thoughts or feedback you're getting on the fallout from that? Well, I think a lot of folks are alarmed both at the quick collapse of FTX and the countless numbers number of people who had invested their money in the company and it just seems like it has literally vanished and so uh, for them i think members of congress are concerned for their constituents um and uh, and how they've been impacted many losing tens of thousands of dollars the issue that you brought up around the campaign finance issues uh, that are also emerging from that he was a prolific fundraiser, both in the dark money shell game of funding different organizations, both publicly and privately, that I think is getting a lot of scrutiny from the Department of Justice. And rightfully so, because when you've got tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people whose money have now been lost, you want to know where did that money go? And it seems as though a lot of it went to influencing and buying influence with both Democrats and Republicans here in town. And as they peel back that onion, I am certain they're going to find things that we might not have thought were there, which is, again, a problem with the dark money super PAC world, where you contrast that with the PACs that have to file uh, quarterly reports with the FEC and are the most transparent group of donors in our political system. It may be a blessing in disguise that, again, illustrates the point that you and the 
members of NAPAC continue to make about our role in the campaign finance system. Paul, are you hearing any feedback from members themselves about how they're feeling as their constituents talk to them about this? Yes. So directly, I haven't heard specifics from members on FTX. Uh, Anecdotally, I think when it first happened, many members were in shock because what I do remember one member saying is like, I remember this short man just sort of appearing. I mean, it was almost like he came out of like he fell out of the sky and all of a sudden came uh, and entered into into the into the sort of political space, handing out checks to everybody. And I think there was a there was some skepticism about where did he come from and what exactly does he want? And the whole cryptocurrency exchange, most people don't have their arms around what that really is. Um, I've heard some members use some colorful language about, it's smoke and mirrors and and they've used other charitable ways to describe it. But I think there's always been a question mark as to what exactly are they doing with other people's money, quite frankly, not their money, but with other people's money. So I think that's the concern. Um, I think there's a heightened concern now that, you know, a number of members have said we're going to return the money. Uh, and if the Department of Justice sets up some sort of restitution fund, we're going to donate that money back. So there will there will definitely be a spotlight on that, and there will be carryover into the campaign finance space just because of how active he was here um, in Washington. But again, top of top of the list here, State of the Union, the president's budget will come up. They will, the cabinet officers will have to come and defend their agency budgets before the House and the Senate. Speaker McCarthy has set up some new select committees that are new to the body. There will be. Uh, appointments made by Leader Jeffries to those uh, select committees. And you will see, I think, a few areas where the parties may come together uh, and work on, and, and that is with, the, with regards to the select committee on China and the threats there, both economic and militarily, with regards to Taiwan. Um, and then February and March, again, much along the lines of the organizing, you then have, again, the president making his State of the Union. There'll be a Republican response to that. And this is also fly-in time. So the governors will be coming to town. The mayors will be coming to town. The mayors are coming to town. The U.S. Conference of Mayors is having their big event next week. But there are a lot of new members of Congress as well that will be taking a lot of meet and greets with different organizations. And I know NAPAC will be in the middle of all of that as we get to know some of the new members. Well, and Paul, we haven't even talked about the fact that Congress has now reopened. I mean, the Capitol's open. We've got, you know, the House and Senate office buildings. How exciting is this? This is, you know, it's been it's been a long two and a half years. It has indeed been a long two and a half years. And January 3rd felt like the first day back to school because you didn't have to wait for someone to come downstairs and meet you. And it was a lot of fun uh, to see friends again, to see members of Congress again. We'd taken for granted that we would always be able to walk into these buildings and walk to a member's office and say hello to the staff and, and the like. And with the pandemic and then the aftermath of January 6th and the number of, of police officers who uh, have retired in their vacancies, the buildings have been closed and now they have reopened. And it's nice again to to see that. I, I hope we are moving towards normal. But um, but yes, Michaela, it was it is great that, you know, if you and I and Adam wanted to uh, head up to Capitol Hill after the number one pack podcast recording, we could walk up to Capitol Hill and walk to the House and the Senate side and and see our elected representatives. And that is a, I think it's a good thing for democracy. 
Yeah. Um, I, I, I've repeated so many times on this podcast that, you know, as a younger person, I was uh, a journalist and I roamed those hallways. And like you, I just never imagined that there might be a time where accessing the people's house would be impossible or meeting with your member of Congress. But I do want to take a nice self-serving turn towards PACs for a second, because I just want to get your opinion, Paul, and, and what you're hearing from members and people on the Hill uh, when it comes to hard dollars, you know, the kind of political donations that employee funded and business trade association PACs make directly to candidates. Uh, it's true that the limits on these donations have been capped for decades, but they are the kind of funds that go directly to candidates that let them get their own message out. And I've read so much in recent months about the ineffective nature of super PACs spending huge sums to not really get much penetration in a market or move the needle when it comes to talking authentically with constituents. And yet here you see in many cases, candidates who have these hard dollars, the ability to get their own message out are so effective. PACs are still relevant and that money's still important. Absolutely. And I think the 2022 election proved that once again, where a member's hard dollars sort of almost trumped the super PACs that were targeting them. They got better placement. They got better times. They got better rates. And I think members could and would tell you that they don't like to be up against the super PACs because it forces them to um, it forces them to continue to raise more money than they otherwise would. But I think the continuing lesson that you see uh, now for a couple of election cycles is that the role of PAC donations in a very transparent way have succeeded in members being able to be elected and reelected. My sense is, is that a number of very learned professors will study that and will demonstrate that. I think everyone grabs the headlines that super PACs spent hundreds of millions of dollars on this race and tens of million dollars on that race, and yet they still weren't successful. Um, and that, I think, may, may negate them from doing it again. But, you know, there have been a couple of cycles now, again, where I think the good guys have prevailed and, and maybe they will have learned their lessons. Michaela, David beats Goliath a lot when it comes to these kinds of races and campaigns and candidates know it and PAC directors know it. NABPAC knows it. And it's important what we all do and the effect that we can have in advocating for business-oriented solutions to what's going on in Congress. Absolutely. As we have said for many years, we're a moderating force in in our political system. And at the end of the day, employee-funded and business trade association PACs are the tried and true. Paul Braithwaite, Chief Strategist at Federal Street Strategies, thank you again for being our guest on the Facts About PACs podcast. Thank you, Michaela. Thank you, Adam. I enjoyed it as always. And, and the work that you all do to give voice to individuals who stay involved, get involved in the political processes is so important and needed because we all have a stake in what the workings of our government are and, and should be. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks, Paul. And thanks to everyone downloading and sharing the Facts About PACs podcast. Subscribe and meet us right back here next week. 